Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. It's summer and we are kind of feeling the final days. This last week, my family, we were just in Winter Park for a week with uh, kind of my siblings and all the nieces and nephews. It's quite a crowd. We have 28 when we get all together. Uh, It is a great time. It's so... Uh, We get together about every two years, so it's fun to see the exciting things that people have going in their lives. They're all, like all of my nieces and nephews are in their 20s, and so the significant others are starting to join us. But that's exciting. It's so cool to see how their lives are growing and progressing. You know, we did all the fun things uh, at Snow Mountain Ranch, zip lining, horseback riding, just hiking through the woods, the waterfalls, and all that kind of stuff. But you know what we spent a lot of time doing? Eating. That's kind of what you do on vacation. (laughs) You spend your time, you know, eating and then maybe doing something to distract you for a few minutes and then you eat again. Or or you at least start talking about what you're going to eat next. You know, family vacations seem to be centered around the food. (laughs) You know, and then a couple of years ago, the family... For my Christmas present, they got me a pizza steel. Have you heard of a pizza steel? You've probably heard of a pizza stone, but a pizza steel is similar, and you put it in your, your oven. It's like a half-inch thick piece of steel, and it just soaks up the heat. And it lets your normal oven act a little bit like a pizza stone oven. So I've been working on my dough ball recipe and kind of perfecting it over the years. And I will brag that my kids say the best pizza in Northern Colorado is in my kitchen. So one of these, it's a lot of work. It's more like an all day thing. But one of these days, we'll try to have you guys over for pizza. So it comes as no surprise, perhaps, that I like to eat. And I'm very comfortable, actually perhaps more comfortable with eating than I am with fasting. And yet... I am an apprentice of Jesus. I desire to do the things that Jesus did. And one of the most obvious things that Jesus did in his life is that he had times of fasting. And of course, as we are apprentices of Jesus, we center our lives or we organize our lives around three goals. First, to be with Jesus, to be in his presence. Second, to become like Jesus. And third, by doing the things that he did. So to apprentice under Jesus is to adopt his lifestyle in many ways. And that doesn't happen all at once for us. We have to lean into this. We have to work at it. Perhaps we have to arrange our own priorities, our own practices, our way of being, so that we can begin to reflect those priorities that we described, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the things Jesus did. So we can't help but notice there are moments in Jesus' practice, as we've been looking at the practices of Jesus this summer and leaning into how we become and can do those things, we notice that Jesus fasted. Can we all appreciate that Finn is now walking? Last week, Finn was not walking. And look at this. 
Oh my gosh. You know, but Jesus fasted. As a matter of fact, he began his public ministry with 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that the enemy tempted him with what? With food. Tempted him to eat. And Jesus replied, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You know, and all throughout the biographies of Jesus, the gospels, we read stories of Jesus and others around him fasting. And yet today, fasting is kind of like this mysterious thing that has, uh, is kind of unfamiliar with a lot of Christians. Maybe some of you have fasted, but you know, the, the fact is there's been studies and surveys and it says that most you know, of Christians, well over half have never fasted. And of those who do fast, less than 2% kind of make it a practice, kind of do it on any kind of frequency. So if fasting is new to you, if fasting is a new idea to you, you're not alone. That's okay. We're going to spend the next four weeks discussing fasting and hopefully kind of demystifying the practice a little bit. You know, we add to this idea of fasting with the idea that for most of us, for many of us, perhaps we have kind of strained relationships with food or perhaps our own bodies you know, and just the idea of fasting may kind of be like a terrifying idea or even a trigger for some of you. Most people don't want anything to do with fasting and kind of, I'm one of them. It's not fun. It's uncomfortable, but here's a question. What if, what if we're missing out on one of the most important of all of the practices of Jesus? As we consider fasting, we're going to do so kind of deliberately, and we're going to peel back the layers. We're going to do this today by beginning in Matthew chapter 6. Before we open the word together, let us pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. We pray in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to dive right into a passage that might be familiar. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus describing fasting. And he just dives right in. So he's taken us right into the idea that, hey, we're already fasting. Let's hear this. Verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites. For they mark their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not may be seen not by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is making a couple of assumptions here. He's making the assumption first that as a disciple of Christ, you will probably be fasting. <laughs> it says when you fast, not if you fast. And secondly, he implies that when you fast, the Father will meet you, will reward you for your sacrifice. Meaning there's a gift waiting on the other side of fasting. And yet, as we said, Many Christians, especially modern Christians in the West, 
You know, we don't tend to fast that frequently. But we used to. We used to fast a lot. Let me give you a brief history on fasting. Fasting is a part of every major world religion these days, including Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, indigenous practices, and Christianity. But the first mention in all human history of fasting as a spiritual discipline is found in the book of Exodus with Moses going upon the Mount Sinai to be with the Lord. And he fasted for 40 days. And it followed this command, a command followed then as Moses came down off the mountain and he called all of Israel to join in a, a recurring fast on the day of atonement known as Yom Kippur. And even today, many Christians, many Jews still fast for Yom Kippur. There's stories of fasting all throughout the Bible. All the major characters fasted, David, Moses, Samuel, Esther, the prophets, by the time of Jesus, it was common practice for Jews to fast twice a week. There was two days of fasting every week. They would fast from morning, from the time they woke up, until sundown. So they would have one meal a day after the sun went down. And Christians continued that practice. In the Didache, one of the first kind of Christian writings we have outside of the scriptures, we see that fasting is prescribed on Wednesdays and Fridays. So full two days, also a full two days before your baptism, you, were, you would fast. On the Sabbath, between Good Friday and Easter, the entire church would fast for the 40 hours between Jesus' death and resurrection. And all this was to get our bodies in touch with, the, with what the Lord experienced in this case between the cross and his resurrection. Lent, the six weeks prior to Easter, is a traditional fast, and we're familiar with that. We've kind of had that in our rhythms here at Emmaus Road, is fasting for Lent. And that's because for centuries, Christians have fasted for those weeks, those six weeks leading up to Easter. And the most traditional form of that fast was to fast daily from sunrise to sundown. So as you see, fasting has been a core practice of Christians for thousands of years. And then came the Enlightenment. A lot of good things came from the Enlightenment. But honestly, we're still carrying some baggage from the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a, a time in history in which we learned and we could think and we became very mindful people. But at what cost? <laughs> You know, when we began to prioritize the mind and our thoughts, we kind of tended to de-emphasize our body and our experience. It was during this stage in history that fasting really kind of fell off. And so it was in the century to follow, the 18th century, John Wesley lamented by saying, I fear there are now thousands of Methodists so-called, he said, <laughs> both in England and in Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week that they do not even fast twice a month. Wesley fasted twice a week, historic, as the historic Christians did, and famously, he had this, like, he refused to ordinate 
or to ordain anyone who didn't also have fasting as part of their practice. So you know what John Wesley thought. I mean, it was hard days if you were uh, an apprentice under John Wesley. (laughs) But at the time, those fundamentals were so core, I think, to many. But here's what I'm saying. The followers of Jesus, they used to fast a lot. And it was considered just as central to the way of Jesus as any other spiritual practice, such as prayer, such as reading your scripture, all of those things. Fasting was important. Fasting is one of the most essential and powerful of all the practices of Jesus. And arguably, it's one that we in the West neglect the most. So we're going to spend some time thinking about fasting. St. Basil the Great said this, fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. She is a safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the brave, and a disciple for champions, a discipline for champions, sorry. Fasting repels temptations. It anoints for godliness. She is a companion for sobriety, the crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. In peace, she teaches with tranquility. The life of Jesus as seen through the writings of the scripture, we see handed down through the saints of time, this chorus that fasting is an essential and powerful part of our discipline with the Lord. So let's cover a couple basics. What is fasting? Fasting is at its most basic is not eating food. While you continue to drink water, you just abstain from food. Regularly, we hear people say that they're fasting from certain activities like shopping or social media or TV, things like that. So there's things, there's times when we abstain from things that we enjoy that otherwise are good things, but for a season we abstain from them. In modern times, that is a form of fasting. We also might hear of fasting from certain types of food. This is especially common if you're going to try to fast for an extended period of time. So perhaps you've heard of a Daniel fast in which you only eat vegetables if you typically have a wider range of, of food intake. Or perhaps a juice fast that gives you some nutrients. So regardless, whether you follow the basic form of fasting from food or you abstain from certain activities or certain types of food, the key of stepping outside of your body's normal rhythms into something different for a day or for a couple days, the point is opening ourselves to the Lord. Second, how long do you fast? If you're going to fast, how long do you do it? Well, there's no prescribed time. In scripture, you'll see all kinds of examples But the most common fast is from waking until sundown. Essentially, eating just one meal a day. That's the most common fast, at least in terms of biblical Christian or historical Christian practice. But of course, in the Bible, we have examples of one day, two day, three day, seven day, 21 day, and 40 day fasts. When do you fast? Why do you choose? And how do you choose when to fast? 
In scripture and in church history, we see different, two different types of fasting that helps us identify when we might decide to fast. First, fasting as a rhythm, and second, fasting in response. So when we fast as a rhythm, this would be similar to the fasting we described, the historical two-day-a-week fasts or the, the annual fast that we do on Yom Kippur or during uh, the season of Lent. Those would be rhythm-type rhythm fasts. But also, we see that there are many times in Scripture in which you fast in response to something, perhaps a national crisis Throughout scripture, we see when there was an invasion upon the children of Israel, then they were called to fast, things like that. Uh, perhaps if there's been sin or grief or loss, or perhaps you're facing a large decision, all of these things might be moments in which you would choose to fast. In 1 Samuel 31, when King Saul dies, the entire nation fasts for seven days. In Jonah chapter three, when Nineveh, a pagan city hears that the destruction of God is com coming. The king calls for a citywide fast, and the city is spared. In Esther chapter 4, when the Hebrew people are threatened by genocide, Queen Esther calls for a three-day fast, and they're saved. The point is, fasting happens in rhythm, but it also happens in response. So do we fast alone or do we fast in community? Yes, to both. <laughs> a lot of people maybe misunderstand what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter six when he says, when you fast, don't let other people know about it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that fasting, you know, is not to be a signal that we use to elevate our kind of our, our spiritual godliness in front of others. Fasting is a humble thing that we enter into into in humility, but it's powerful when we do this in community to know that others are fasting around you. Scripture is full of examples of people of God fasting together. In fact, often fasts were commanded for the entire community, including children and even animals. <laughs> in the Old Testament, you would have your animals fast alongside of you. That's interesting. So finally, maybe the most important question of all, why do we fast? There's all sorts of reasons why we fast, but we'll kind of group them into four. And this is what we're gonna be spending our time on over these next four weeks, is these four reasons of why we fast. First, to offer ourselves to Jesus. That's what we'll be spending a little time today with. Next week, we fast to grow in holiness. After that, to amplify our prayers. And finally, the last week of August, we'll end up with, we, we, we fast to stand with the poor, with others, but specifically with the poor. So now that we've kind of laid the groundwork of the historical reasons for fasts and kind of at its basics what fasting is, let's look, unpack this idea a little bit of the fact that we fast in order to offer ourselves to Jesus. We said a moment ago that the early Christians continued the Jewish practice of fasting twice a week, from sunup to sundown, twice a week. But what we find that the early Christian church did after Christ's resurrection was they shifted the fast, which was traditionally Monday and Thursday. 
they shifted that fast to Wednesday and Friday. Do you know why? Because Wednesday was the day of the betrayal and Friday was the day of the crucifixion. So early disciples, early Christians of Jesus, they were fasting intentionally to, in their bodies to feel what Jesus felt, even in a small way. New Testament writers and theologians call this participating in the sufferings of Christ. They were intentionally adopting a pattern laid down by Jesus of dying and raising again. Death to self followed by life in God. Sun up to sundown twice a week, every week. I mean, even if we were just without the fast, even if we were just being mindful of doing that twice a week, every week, that would be a big change in a lot of our lives. They didn't do this out of hate for the body or some masochistic pleasure out of some kind of penance or that kind of thing. They did this out of a desire for Jesus to be with him and to become like him. This is the ultimate reason for fasting, is for a hunger for Jesus and for his transformation in our lives. Because we all know when we fast from something, equally important, we need to be fasting to something, right? So when we fast from something, that, and if we don't then fast to Jesus or fast to our, our faith, then that's just a diet, you know? But when we fast to something, that's what John Piper calls whole body hungering for God. And what is hunger? Hunger at its core is a feeling or a want for something that you don't have. Our bodies are hungry because they want food. <laughs> you know, nowadays, we may not always feel that hunger for God. And if we're honest, we may kind of even be apathetic about it. You know, we just kind of get into a routine. All the more reason to consider a fast as fasting has the potential to awaken latent hungers within our souls that maybe have gone dormant for a season. Fasting is a practice to offer our whole life back to the one who has given us breath in the first place. The opening lines of Romans chapter 12 kind of sum up why we might do something like a fast or any of these practices. This will be on the screen, so let's go look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? In this passage, the word used for body is soma, and it means your whole person. It's not just your flesh, it's your flesh, your mind, and your spirit. Present your flesh and your mind and your spirit to God. You know, for many of us, we grew up in a church tradition where there was much said about the heart giving our hearts to Jesus. 
and that's beautiful. But Jesus doesn't just call for your heart. He calls for all of us. He calls for our soma, our spirit, our mind, and our body. Part of the reason why our, this church tradition, this modern church tradition has emphasized the heart over the whole person is that because, you know, in the, the Western church overall, we've lost this idea that Pope John Paul II calls the theology of the body, which put simply is the fact, the reminder that we're not just, and I've used this word around here, we're just not brains on a stick. You know, we're just not here for knowledge acquisition or to think about things. We're here to experience things. In other words, we don't have a body. We are a body. <laughs> That's scriptural. Jesus came in a body. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. He came to save our whole body. And Jesus himself, his body was saved from death by resurrection. This is all scriptural. One day in the future at Jesus' return, what happened to Jesus' body will happen to our bodies. Our bodies will be exalted to the perfect way in which they were designed. We'll be raised from death to life. But in the meantime, our discipline, discipleship to Jesus should take our bodies into account. In other words, we can love and embrace our body, not fight against it, which so much of Christian faith, especially through fundamentalism, was fighting your body's urges and trying to just be this mind, this heart, right? The Apostle Paul famously said in Corinthians, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Therefore, honor God with your whole self, with your soma, with your body, your mind, and your spirit. Your body is a temple, a dwelling place of God. It's the sphere where discipleship with Jesus becomes real. It's not just an idea anymore. It's a feeling. It's a practice. One way to think about discipleship is as a disciplined attempt to get the teaching of Jesus so into our body that it becomes a part of our neurobiology. In other words, it you know, becomes a part of like, what we actually want to do. We feel that effect. Like, for instance, if you're a coffee drinker, you might notice when you're not drinking coffee. As a follower of Christ, we should notice in our body when we're somehow distant from Christ. We want this muscle memory in our faith so that when confronted with various situations, the word of God is right there. The spirit of God is right there because it's in our muscle memory. And fasting is one of the best ways to get the teachings of Jesus into our bodies. Back to Romans 12, we offer our whole persons, including our bodies, to Jesus in view of God's mercy for us. Meaning we do this because of what he has done for us. We give up food because he gave up everything. We offer our body and devotion because he already gave his salvation to us. We fast for all sorts of reasons, but the primary reason why we fast is not to get something from Jesus, but to give something to Jesus. 
This is what Paul calls worship, our love, our affection, our devotion. You know, Jesus assumed his disciples would fast, but you notice Jesus never commanded a fast. Neither did the apostles in the New Testament. And of course, we live under the new covenant. So even the commanded fast of the day of atonement and all those kinds of things, those aren't necessarily applicable to us. And yet the followers of Christ fasted. Although it was never laid down as a regimen to follow, like all the practices of Jesus, we don't have to fast. It's not required. Neither God nor grumpy old John Wesley is going to come checking in on you (laughs) if you're not fasting or whatever. But Jesus fasted. And then Jesus said, come and see. Come, follow me. Practices like fasting and prayer and Sabbath and more are how we follow Jesus. How we open ourselves, our whole persons to the grace of Christ in order to be transformed. I was in my mid-20s before I even really heard about fasting. I first started to experiment with fasting in various ways. We were a part of a church that at that time, fasting was just something we talked about. And fasting was something we did as a congregation from time to time, whether it was for certain types of growth in our spiritual life or perhaps certain type of breakthrough for, not, for either our nation or for our congregation, this reason or that reason. But I never really liked it. <laughs> it was hard. And then there's that thing that happens when you're trying to fast for a period of time and your, your body's just not having it. And then what happens when you actually, well, you eat something and you break your fast before you wanted to do it. And then you like got this whole shame kind of thing. You know, let's set all that stuff aside. I can, you know, testify that it was not until my mid thirties after trying this for time and time again, was it during that time that um, I went on a two-week mission trip to the Philippines, and it was on that mission trip that God's call to missions was reawakened in my heart and in Melissa's heart. And I kinda, we kind of had this sinking feeling that maybe in our 30s, just as we're beginning our careers and our families just getting established, that maybe God was calling us to the mission field. Terrible timing. It was scary. You know, we wanted to make sure we were making the right decision. That it just wasn't some kind of emotional feeling or whatever. So Melissa and I felt prompted to fast for 21 days in that season. For clarity. But it would also take a lot of miracles. A lot of provision. A lot of logistics. We kind of had this, we set up for ourselves that window of 21 days to make that decision. And I can tell you that after that 21 days, no, no decision was ever easier to make than that decision. People all the time would ask us, you know, were you scared? We weren't. We should have been maybe. 
Were you ever in doubt? We weren't. Maybe we should have been, but we never had a doubt. No decision was ever easier than buying one-way tickets and a handful of suitcases and three babies moving around the world. You know, during that season, we experienced what Matthew chapter 6 and Romans chapter 12 implied, promised. That by offering our bodies to God in willing sacrifice to seek him, that in response would be a gift. A gift of peace, a gift of confidence, a gift of discernment. a gift that richly blessed our lives. You know, and fasting was not some sort of magic ticket. We didn't twist God's arm by giving up food for a season of time, but it certainly was part of the story of God's revelation in us on where we should go and how we should live and what we should do. You know, we gave ourselves to the practice or more, precisely to Jesus through the practice. And we discovered what millions of followers of Christ throughout history have experienced. That fasting is one of the most powerful dis disciplines of the spiritual life. And so we invite you into a season where you might consider fasting. <laughs> Inside your bulletin or inside your worship folder, we have a suggested practice for the coming week in which we simply, you know, you can modify this as you see fit, but the suggestion would be to follow the historical model of a fast from sunrise to sundown to abstain from food. Of course, have your water, have your coffee so you don't get your caffeine headache, but fast for food. And this week, and as we do this throughout this season, the, in previous, in, in our time on Sabbath and our time on prayer, the practice has kind of changed up from week to week. The practice of fasting is pretty black and white. I mean, you're either fasting or you're not. So over these next four weeks, the emphasis that, we've, that we kind of have in mind while we do the fast will be these four reasons. So this week, maybe you have a prayer or you have something you're looking for discernment. I'm not suggesting you don't bring that before the Lord. But really what we're doing when we fast this week is we're offering ourselves to Jesus in simplicity. We're just offering ourselves to Jesus. That's the invitation for this week. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your promise. Your promise is that as we offer our soma to you, our mind, body, and spirit, that Lord, you will meet us in that place Lord, you will richly reward and come alongside and bless as we do so. Lord, we don't want to manipulate you. We're not trying to do that. What we're trying to do is to earnestly and with zeal to follow your will and your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.